Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. And now, here is Walter Bingham. Hello and welcome to the program for November 8, 2022, which in the Hebrew calendar is the 14th of the month of Cheshvan, 5783. I am Walter Bingham. It is unfortunate that recently it has become necessary for me to begin this show with the sad news of yet another casualty of terrorism. This time it is a 14-year-old girl from Kiryat Arba who has serious head wounds, presumably from Arab gunfire. We pray that Tamar Batnira shall have a speedy and full recovery. We have voted in the fifth general election within the shortest time of any country in the world. Finally, the Israeli public has woken up to the fact that to avoid another round it was necessary to vote tactically for the party that has the best chance to form a stable government that may even last a full term of four years. The electorate has decisively rejected the treacherous left-wing program of Yair Lapid, which would have been very detrimental to the future of our country, and they supported the smaller right-wing party to a surprising extent. Now Benjamin Netanyahu, the leader of the Likud party, will presumably be charged by President Herzog to form a government. With the support of the right-wing parties, he has achieved 64 Knesset seats out of 120 and is therefore expected to succeed in forming a government. With a very small number of votes still to be counted, no further change is expected. The surprise of this election is the National Religious Party, made up of three factions and led by Bezalel Smotrich. The second and very influential faction is led by the controversial Itamar Ben-Gvir, a former supporter of the generally referred to as extremist politician Rabbi Meir Kahana, Sechon Levracha. That relationship of Ben-Gvir's past has caught waves in international diplomatic circles, although it dates back 30 years, and he has categorically declared that he no longer subscribes to Kahana's views. Ben-Gvir has matured, and as the British entrepreneur and philanthropist Richard Branson once said, only a fool never changes his mind. In any case, as I've said in last week's show, foreign diplomats or their presidents or prime ministers have no right to dictate the composition of Israel's government. While our government is in the process of being formed, I offer my advice. Although I have no details, I can well imagine that the government with its many departments is, if not the then probably one of the largest employers in the country. 
There is the Knesset, Israel's parliament, where each of the 120 members has at least two personal staff, and besides those, masses of people are employed to run the building and the operation. Security, ushers, cleaners, catering staff, and of course, the many offices and more. The Prime Minister runs a firm, as the British royals call their setup, which is equivalent to a large company. There is the President's firm, and of course our 31 ministries, ranging from agriculture to transport, each with its director and deputy minister, and masses of superfluous managers. I don't know if anybody knows their total number of employees, but it must be tens of thousands. I would not attempt to rate the ministries by importance because every branch of government is, of course, dealing with essential matters. However, not all matters need a separate ministry, so that the Ministry of Aliyah and Integration could well be absorbed by the Ministry of the Interior, and the Ministry of Economy should have a department for industry, trade and labour. There are other ministries that could be combined, saving a lot of taxpayers' money. The ministry that does, in my view, the most interesting work, I stress most interesting, not most important, is that of foreign affairs. It's less boring than handling the country's finances and less stressful than balancing the demands and counter-demands on the Ministry of Religious Services, who consider themselves responsible to the Almighty and having to defend the laws of the Torah in a Jewish state against the demands of a large segment of the so-called enlightened population, something that I consider to be a Herculean task. Interestingly, the Merits Party that represents that sect of society since 1992 did this time not make it into the Knesset. The bottom line reduced the overstaffed government bureaucracy. Back to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs responsible to carry out the foreign policy of the government. They have among their several departments one that is particularly colourful. It is the Protocol and Official Guest Bureau. That too is unnecessarily subdivided on a geographical basis into North America, Europe, Africa, Asia, the Pacific, the Middle East, Latin America and international organisations. What a waste of manpower. They are responsible for organising the stay and programmes of the many official guests from their respective regions that visit Israel each year, including heads of state, prime ministers, speakers of parliament, ministers and members of foreign parliaments and high-ranking officials. The programme coordinators of the official guest department accompany their very senior guests throughout their stay in Israel. In overall charge is the chief of protocol of the State of Israel all ceremonial aspects of our foreign relations. He is Ambassador Extraordinary Meron Rubin, subordinate only to the Minister of Foreign Affairs, and I hope to bring you an interview with the Ambassador in the near future. When last August British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak 
then finance minister in the government of Liz Truss, addressed a meeting of conservative friends of Israel, he said that Jerusalem was Israel's undisputed capital and that there was a very strong case for relocating the UK embassy there. But this week a Downing Street spokesman said there are no plans to move the UK embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv. It seems that resulting from pressure by the Palestinian ambassador in the UK, Sunak made a U-turn. And did you know that non-existent Palestine has ambassadors around the world? Maybe soon the Catalans from Spain or the Canadian province of Quebec or even the Welsh in the UK will demand an ambassadorship. Now to a true story about a modern Lech Lecha. This Shabbat we read the Torah portion of Lech Lecha, how God commanded our forefather Abraham to leave his place of birth in Urkastim, today about 300 kilometers southeast of Baghdad, and go to the place that God will show him. At various places in the Torah, we read that either at the request of God, or even on their own accord, some of our forefathers left their place of residence and moved to a new home, like Avraham or Avram, as he was still then, moving from Ocastim to the place which has become the home of the Jewish people, or Noah, who moved into a floating home. So this Shabbat, the Torah reading, is Lech Lecha, Abraham's journey. So I want to share with you a true story which has great relevance to those moves. After the conclusion of the prayer, Dan walked quickly to the front of the synagogue in Jerusalem and said good Shabbos to the rabbi and a few other people he knew. Then he made his way towards the back to go home and make kiddush for the family. On his way out, a sudden impulse struck him and he turned round to watch the people filing out. His eyes slowly scanned the synagogue. Was there anyone who needed a place to eat? Who is that still sitting against the side wall? I know almost everyone here and I don't believe he's been here before. Dan approached that young man, scanning him with an experienced eye, dungarees, backpack, dark-skinned, curly black hair, looks Sephardi maybe, maybe Moroccan. A moment more for consideration and he extended his hand in welcome. Shabbat Shalom, my name is Dan Eisenblatt. Would you like to eat at my house tonight? The young man's face broke in an instant from a worried look to a toothy smile. Yeah, thanks, my name is Mackie. The young man picked up his backpack and together they walked out of the synagogue. Sometimes later, they were all standing around Sam's Shabbos table and as soon as the family started singing Shalom Aleichem, Dan noticed that his guest was not singing along. Well, maybe he's shy or can't sing or doesn't know the tune he surmised. His guest gave another of his toothy smiles and now following along, limping badly, but obviously trying his best. Even after the meal began and the guests had relaxed somewhat, 
He still seemed a bit fidgety and was mostly silent. Dan picked up the signal and kept the conversation general and centered his remarks about the weekly Torah portion, mixed with small talk about current events. After the fish, Dan noticed his guest looking through the Zemirot, the song booklet, apparently looking for something. He asked with a smile, Is there a song you want to sing? I can help you with a tune if you are not sure. The guest's face lit up, a startling change. There is a song I'd like to sing, but I can't find it here. I really liked what we sang in the synagogue tonight. What was it called? Something Dodi. Then posed for a moment, on the verge of saying, well, it's not usually sung at the table, but then caught himself. If that's what the kid wants, he thought, what's the harm? And then, loud, he said, You mean Lachadodi? Let me get you a sidur. Once they had sung Lachadodi, the young man resumed his silence until, after the soup, when Dan asked him, Which song now? The guest looked embarrassed, but after a bit of encouragement said firmly, I'd like to sing Lechadodi again. Dan was not at all surprised when after the chicken he asked his guest what song now and the young man said, Lechadodi, please. Dan almost blurted out, let's sing it a little softer this time. The neighbors are going to think I'm nuts, but he thought better of it. Finally, it got to be too much for Dan. Don't you want to sing something else, he suggested gently. His guest blushed and looked down. I really like that one, he mumbled. There's just something about it. I really like it. In all, they must have sung that song five or six times, Dan lost count. Later, when they had a quiet time to talk, Dan said, I was just wondering we haven't had more than a few moments to chat. Where are you from? The boy looked pained, then stared down at the floor and said softly, Ramallah. Dan's heart skipped a beat. He was sure he heard Ramallah. Quickly he caught himself and then realized that he must have said Ramle, an Israeli city, and Dan said, Oh, I have a cousin there. Do you know if I am Warner? He lives on Herzl Street. The young man shook his head and said, There are no Jews in Ramallah. Sam gasped. He really had said Ramallah. His thoughts went racing. Did he just spend the Shabbos with an Arab? Wait a minute. Let's take a deep breath. Giving his head a quick shake, he told the boy, I'm sorry, I'm a bit confused, and now that I think of it, I haven't asked you your full name. What is it, please? The boy looked terrified for a moment, and then straightened up and said quietly, Mahmoud ibn al-Sharif. Mahmoud looked even more terrified. Obviously, he could tell what Dan was thinking. Hurriedly, he said, wait, 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 I am Jewish. I'm just trying to find out where I belong. Dan stood there speechless. What could he say? Mahmoud broke the silence hesitantly. I was born and grew up in Ramallah. I was taught to hate my Jewish oppressors.
and that killing them was heroism. But I always had my doubts. I mean, we were taught that the sooner the tradition says, no one of you is a believer until he desires for his brother that which he desires for himself. I used to sit and wonder, when the Yahud, the Jews, people too, didn't they have the right to live the same as us? We're supposed to be good to everyone. How come nobody includes the Jews in that? I asked these questions of my father, and he threw me out of the house with nothing but the cloth on my back, just like that. But now my mind was made up. I was going to run away and live with the Yahud until I can find out what they are really like. Mahmoud continued, I sneaked back into the house that night to take my backpack with my things. My mother caught me in the middle of packing. She looked pale and upset, but was quiet and gentle to me, and after a while she got me to talk. I told her that I wanted to go and live with the Jews for a while and find out what they are like and maybe I might even want to convert. She was turning more and more pale while I said all this, and I thought she was angry, but that wasn't it. Something else was hurting her, and she whispered, You don't have to convert. You are a Jew. I was shocked. My head started spinning, and for a moment I couldn't speak. Then I stammered, What do you mean? In Judaism, she told me, your religion goes according to the mother. I am Jewish, so that means you are Jewish. I never had any idea my mother was Jewish. I guess she didn't want anyone to know. She sure didn't feel good about her life because she whispered suddenly, I made a mistake by marrying an Arab. In you, my mistake will be redeemed. My mother always talked that way, poetic-like. She went and dug out some old documents and handed them to me. Things like my birth certificate and her old Israeli identity card so that I could prove that I was a Jew. I got them here, but I don't know what to do with them. My mother hesitated about one piece of paper. Then she said, You may as well have this. It's an old photograph of my grandparents, which was taken when they were looking for the grave of some great ancestor of ours. They went up north and found the grave, and that's where this picture was taken. Dan put his hand gently on Mahmoud's shoulder. Mahmoud looked up, scarce and hopeful at the same time. Dan asked, Do you have the photo here? The boy's face lit up. Sure, I always carry it with me. He reached in his backpack and pulled out an old, tattered envelope. Dan gingerly took the photograph from the envelope, picked up his glasses, and looked carefully at it. The first thing that stood out was the family group, an old-time Sephardi family from the turn of the 19th century. Then he focused on the grave they stood around. When he read the gravestone inscription, he nearly dropped the photo. He rubbed his eyes to make sure. There was no doubt. This was the grave of an old cemetery in Sfat, and the inscription 
identified it as the grave of the great Kabbalist and tzaddik Rabbi Shlomo El Kabez, the author of L'Chadodi. Dan's voice quivered with excitement and he explained to Mahmoud who his ancestor was. He was a friend of the Arizal, a great Torah scholar, a tzaddik, a mystic. Mahmoud, your ancestor wrote the song that we were singing all evening, L'Chadodi. This time it was Mahmoud's turn to be struck speechless. Dan stood up, still in awe of what had happened, Welcome home, Mahmoud. Now, how about picking a new name for yourself? That was an up-to-date example of inspiration by Hashem to Lech Lecha, go for yourself, from your father's house to the land, to the place that he showed him. And while on the subject of human interaction, I sometimes wonder at the inconsiderate judgment of ordinary people. So here is one kind-hearted person's experience. Today, upon a bus, I saw a girl with golden hair. I envied her. She seemed so gay. I, I wished I was so fair. Then suddenly she took a crutch and hobbled down the aisle. She only had one foot, and as she passed, she smiled. Then, Walking down the street, I saw a child with eyes of blue. He stood and watched the others play. It seemed he knew not what to do. I stopped and asked, why don't you join the others, dear? He looked ahead without a word, and then I knew he could not hear. And when I stopped to buy some sweets, the lad who sold them was so kind. I spoke with him a while. He said to me, it's nice to speak to folk like you. You see, I'm blind. With feet to take me where I go, with eyes to see the sunsets glow, with ears to hear what I do know. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I'm blessed indeed. The world is mine. And with these thoughts I end for today. Until the next time, this is Walter Bingham wishing you good health and a happy week. Of course, that poem should encourage you to visit your elderly neighbor who may also have ailments that prevent him or her from enjoying life to the full. Goodbye. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. 
The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips. With scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candlelighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 